A hearty hello and welcome to you. This is the Bar Southeast Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Blevins. The Carolina Hurricanes made a quick stop at home, taking on the Anaheim Ducks Friday night before they went on a three-game NHL Western Conference road trip. The Hurricanes started things off nicely. Andrei Svechnikov at the tail end of the first period snuck a shot between the pads of starter John Gibson to give Carolina a 1-0 lead. From there, though, it was a goaltender's duel. John Gibson would go 4-for-4 on breakaways, and Curtis McElhaney would make save after save until the third period. An awkward bounce allowed Pontus Aberg to put the puck in the back of the net 16-10 into the third period. The game would go into overtime, a familiar space for the Hurricanes this year. But Ryan Getzlaff, the Ducks' captain, would find a way to beat McElhaney on a breakaway, securing a win for Anaheim 2-1. For the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, this is... First of all, a showcase of what happens when you lose your edge that you get in the first 20 minutes. Furthermore than that, it indicates to me just how important Michael Furland is to the success of this team. But lastly, I think now we see just how important it is to score goals in the National Hockey League. We took a lot of time on this show to rag on Scott Darling. A lot of time. And if I misled you in any way and made you think that by getting rid of Scott Darling, the Hurricanes had solved all problems, I thoroughly apologize because that's not the case. But tonight we really got a glimpse, I think, at where the Hurricanes are and what their challenge is going to be throughout the rest of the season and we're going to do a little bit uh, a, l- a little bit of diagnosing a little bit of diagnostics and then we're going to talk a little bit of strategy uh, and exactly what went down in this hockey game but before we get to that we are going to ask you our trivia question for tonight this one's a little bit of an easier one especially for those of you who have been around the program and have been around the sport for a while and the question is this what is the name of the Anaheim Ducks mascot What is the name of the Anaheim Ducks mascot? We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. This one shouldn't be too terribly long, I don't believe, just because there's not a ton to talk about, but there are some very pointed issues that I saw this evening. First of all, the stat that we gave you in the recap is John Gibson went 4-for-4 on breakaways tonight. That That is, first of all, a very good sign for the Anaheim Ducks who haven't had a lot to be happy about up to this point. They're a conservative team in a Western Conference that likes to open things up, and the reason they've had to be conservative is they are very injured right now. And that is a major issue when it comes to playing in the NHL, especially at this point in the season. We're not even at the halfway mark, and you're that beat up. Um, There have been guys who aren't playing, guys who aren't playing really well, and the guys that you saw play tonight for the Anaheim Ducks... Um, they really, to be completely honest with you, uh, weren't weren't the Ducks of old um, that we're used to seeing. Names that you might recognize, Andrew Cogliano, 
Adam Henrique, Ryan Getzlaff, Ryan Kessler, but then uh, Jacob Silverberg and Ricard Raquel as well. But especially on the back, you've got Hampus Lindholm, who has been a very, very good defenseman at times. But other than that, Brandon Montour is probably the only one you're going to recognize up and down the Ducks' defensive roster. And at forward, I mean, they added Brian Gibbons in the offseason from the New Jersey Devils. Pontus Aberg, who got the game-tying goal, he's a newer name to the NHL. Um, Nick Ritchie has played with the Ducks for a little while at this point. But it's a new-look roster for Anaheim, especially on the blue line. And you see who really is making the difference at this point, and that's Big 36. John Gibson, in my opinion, is the first star tonight. Undoubtedly so. Um, and and it's it's tough to argue that when the guy comes in and makes 33 saves on 34 shots, and the Hurricanes did not have any shortage of scoring chances for the most part. There were chances to beat Gibson and to put the game away early, to try to steal it late or to put it out of reach late is perhaps more accurate, and Gibson was good. But the other thing is, when you've got chances upon chances upon chances, you've got to analyze how are you getting your chances. Passes from Jacob Slavin and his blue line mates tonight were spot on, and it sprung four breakaway opportunities. Three from right down Broadway, and one that came in from the right wing. But you got to look at who got sprung. Um, Phil DiGiuseppe, good player, not great player. Dougie Hamilton had a breakaway tonight, and you never expect a defenseman to be able to go in and put the move on a goaltender. He didn't. He was stopped by Gibson. But when you look at the quality of opportunities tonight for the Hurricanes, you will not question the quality of the occurrence, but you are going to question the validity of a scoring chance based on who got sprung for a breakaway. That's the disappointing thing tonight is whenever you look at where these plays are working, and yes, granted, you're pulling this on a third and fourth line and against defensemen who are very borderline NHL defensemen. I understand that. That was the game plan. The Hurricanes hit it hard, but this comes down to a matter of finishing and a matter of building on what you had already. I thought the Hurricanes did a wonderful job setting the tone of the first period. Both teams felt each other out for about five minutes, and then Carolina took over which is something we've seen them get to early. They put 21 shots on net in the first period. That's a good number, and that's what Rod Brindamore wants to do. And coming out of that first period up 1-0 was an encouraging sign. But then in the second period, there really weren't a lot of scoring chances for Carolina. And Curtis McElhaney at the other end did marvelously. Did marvelously all night. Um, And the thing was for him... At the halfway point of the hockey game, he had only faced seven shots. So you want to talk about an onslaught of offense when it comes to how Anaheim finishes that game? That's exactly what you're looking at. They put on 22 shots in 30 minutes. And that's one for McElhaney and company that you're going to go, nope, 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 nope. That can't happen. Because I remarked on Twitter earlier, I thought the Hurricanes' defense as a unit Looked solid for 30 minutes. And then it all went downhill. And shot totals kept creeping up for Anaheim and creeping up and creeping up. And the person I feel worse for is Curtis McElhaney. I really do. Because here's a guy who has come in, won four straight, 
In the last handful of games, he's only allowed a single goal. He's been that close to a shutout on a couple of occasions here now. And tonight, he was right there in it again. And he get an awkward bounce that hops straight up in the air and Pontus Aberg plays baseball with it and bats it in legally. And I know Hurricane fans are going to go, well, his gloves were above the crossbar, but his stick wasn't. And you you can watch Pontus Aberg make that play. And you can see him think, because the puck hopped easily two, three feet over the crossbar, and he waited and he waited, and, he, and then when it got below the bar, that's when he swung and hit and made contact and it goes in. I don't know how else to explain it to you. It was one of the strangest things that I've seen in a long time, and it was just meant to be for Anaheim tonight. But you see... Even with good goaltending, even with great goaltending, you're going to have to have the offense to back this defense up. And we knew going into the season, the blue line was going to be strong for Carolina, and it has been. Justin Falk has played one of his best defensive seasons for Carolina up to this point. Made a couple of good stick check plays earlier. I thought Calvin DeHaan made a couple of good plays. Got caught out of position once and it almost cost him the game in regulation because it would have been a power play goal on a shot that ricocheted off of uh, McElhaney's glove and hit the post. Didn't go in. That was from Ryan Getzlaff. Um, But I I think defensively, you're going to look at the breakdown that happened in overtime in three-on-three, and Hurricane fans were harping, play, play, let's go, let's go. For anybody who is cerebral enough to understand the game, that is exactly what Anaheim does. That's the exact play they wanted, and they hit on it. For those of you who are football fans, you will recognize the concept of a zone defense and a man defense. In three-on-three, it's very difficult to play good zone because as soon as one guy with any amount of skill gets loose, he's going to be off to the races. And Ryan Getzlaff is a perennial NHL All-Star that the Hurricanes let get off scot-free, and he made him pay. That was the major breakdown. Thought the penalty kill was serviceable this evening. Thought for the most part, the Hurricanes played even, if not better, than Anaheim at 5-on-5. Five five. But you got to have the scoring to go with it. And this is the point where you're looking to the front office and you're looking for them to answer the question, is the goal to win this year, or are we going to wait a year, get a little bit more developed, get the system under our belt, and then come back to looking at the success question? There are merits to both. I believe when you're looking at a fan base that hasn't seen playoff hockey in nine years, might be feeling a little bit of urgency here. And that would be every green light in my mind to make a move, to go after somebody, or find a way to get more scoring. And you could look at bringing Martin Natchez back up. Um, certainly the absence of Michael Furlan to concussion tonight hurt Carolina at your team's leading goal scorer and just a a very big presence out there on the ice. So you know you're going to improve when he steps back in. 
but you need the guy who's going to put the puck in the net for you. And the name that's been surfacing recently is William Nylander. Now, Nylander is going to make a huge decision whether or not to sign with Toronto tomorrow by 5 p.m., and if he doesn't, then there are going to be a lot of teams vying for his services via trade. And I think Carolina would benefit from William Nylander. I really do. But I think you have to look at what cost. And I'm sure that this fan base, as they always do, they get very excited when a new player gets added, but you've always got to look at the cost of this. And here's what it spells out to me. When you look at what the Maple Leafs have, it is star power. But most of it comes at the forward positions. That's your Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, now back from injury, John Tavares, those guys. You've got a good enough goaltender that can get you through in Freddie Anderson. And you have serviceable defensemen, but you don't have a star back there. The perfect trade partner is a team like Carolina, who's got Falk, Slavin, Pesci, DeHaan, Hamilton, and whoever they opt to rotate into that sixth position. At this point, for me... I don't think Hamilton or DeHaan are going anywhere. To be quite honest with you, the way Justin Falk is playing right now, I don't think he's going anywhere. So that certainly opens up Jacob Slavin as a trade target, potentially. Brett Pesci, potentially. Draft picks, potentially. But you're going to have to find the right trade bait to get William Nylander here. I don't know what it is. But that's the discussion that's going on around the organization right now and around the fan base. In my opinion, at this stage in the game, I'm not completely sure that William Nylander is worth the cost. And the reason I say that is because you can keep all of these defensemen in your arsenal. And you can go after a true top six forward or two in the offseason or at the trade deadline. Now, the reason you're feeling the pressure to get the move now is you want to make sure if you're going to make the move at the deadline that you're going to be competitive enough by then to warrant making the move. I think Carolina can get there with what they've got. It's going to take a great deal of focus and a great deal of execution, but I believe they can get there. It'll be interesting to see what shakes out for this team, though, on that front. Last thing, I guess, that we should touch on is this goaltending situation. I, I do believe you're going to see Peter Mrazek on this road trip. I, I'm not necessarily buying it's going to be Sunday in Los Angeles. It could be that Wednesday game there. But um, you're going to see him. And I think, Canes fans, you probably should get used to these being the guys. I'm, I'm not convinced Curtis McElhinney is going to stay in Raleigh for more than, a, more than a year. But you do need to realize at this point, 
he is he is the hot hand still. And he's gotten points in all five of his last outings and is, you know, a moment here or a moment there away from being five games started, five games won. And that's a very rare feat in in this day and age for the NHL. But Peter Morozik is the guy that Canes fans, you need to start pulling for. Because if you want this team to be competitive, he's going to hold a lot of the key. If there isn't going to be an immediate infusion of offense, 34 and 35 are your guys now. And I think the Canes are in a competitive position with both those guys in net. If you give Mrazek about a week to feel his way back in from injury, I mean, he's he's coming off of an extended timeout. You know, that, that's been a guy who's been an NHL playoff starter back in his days with Detroit. So this is good news for Carolina, that no more do you have to have the question mark of Big Scott Darling, who did clear waivers and is now on assignment to Charlotte. You don't have to worry about that anymore. But again, all of this defensive prowess matters very little if you're not going to be able to put two or three pucks in the back of the net on a night-by-night basis. And even when you go back and look at the win against Montreal, you kind of get stuck in the same boat. Montreal outshot and outchanced Carolina, and the pucks just didn't go in. A lot of that had to do with Curtis McElhaney. I I fully believe that. But you're going to have to find a way to give your netminders and your defense some support. And that's kind of the moral of this story. It's a gut-wrenching loss, but... The Canes do pick up two points in the standings. Uh, excuse me, a point in the standings. And it's hard to complain when that happens. Carolina, at this very moment, as of all of the games implicating the Eastern Conference are finished this evening, Carolina is sitting at 28 standings points. That is good enough for the third and final Metropolitan Division wild card. The New York Islanders are hot on their tail at 27. Montreal out of the Atlantic uh, with 27. They are out of the playoff picture. And Pittsburgh in the Metro with 25. So the Hurricanes are in the mix and are on the higher end of the mix, which is critical for, uh, for this evening's contest. And again, if the Hurricanes were to fall, you're having to compete with some very good hockey clubs out of the Atlantic. Montreal and Boston primarily, and nobody is going to touch Tampa, and it's looking pretty evident that nobody's going to touch Buffalo. The Buffalo Sabres have arrived, and um, it's high and tight in the Atlantic at 37, 37, 36. In the Metro, Washington, who disposed of New Jersey this evening, 6-3, they're at the top of the division now at 33 points. Columbus behind them at 32, Carolina with 28. And not a bad shake for um, for Carolina, but now you got to go on the road, and that's that's the stinger. You got to go out west. It's not the worst road trip in the world. It's an extended amount of time over three games. You're going to get out there tomorrow. You're going to play the LA Kings on Sunday. Then you're going to go down for a little while. Sharks Wednesday, and then the Ducks on Friday. That's one of those trips where you've got to feel like you can be able to swing a couple of points in your direction 
but you got to figure out the best way in which to do it. And um, I think the goal, whenever you go on an extended road trip out of your time zone, is go 500, pick up three of the six points available. I think for the Hurricanes, this is a momentum step forward if they find a way to get four. And they are a faster team than the Los Angeles Kings. It's a tough building to play in sometimes, Staples Center is. But, you know, the Canes should find a way to uh, to win that hockey game because the Los Angeles Kings are not good this year. But then you're going to get uh, two of the top three teams in the Pacific when you got to take on San Jose and Anaheim. And big points on the line for Carolina on their road trip. And then uh, eventually as we work our way through the month of December, you're going to see the Hurricanes come back home for a five-game homestand. And they seem to really like playing in PNC Arena this year, which is a good thing. Answer the trivia question tonight. What is the name of the Anaheim Ducks mascot? Wild Wing! Made popular, of course, by the Disney cartoon version, The Mighty Ducks. A giant animated feathered creature with a long orange bill. Wild Wing and... uh, Really, you got to look at the history of the Ducks sometime, if you would. Of course, you had the great movies with Emilio Estevez and company. The Mighty Ducks, D2 and D3. But a whole cartoon series launched um, with Duck LaRange and uh, Wild Wing and Lord Dragonis. And the reason I can quote that is because that that was a, a very small and very dear part of my childhood is watching those movies... Um, so a lot of fun to, to see what went down there. And, um, you know, the Hurricanes are in a good spot. They're in a good spot. And I think that's what I want to leave you with before we uh, head back out west and see what's going on there. Even though it's a loss tonight, it's still a point in the standings. You see continued confidence in the goaltending game, continued confidence defensively, but we're still stuck on scoring the puck and. That's something that, that can come with time, and it's something that can happen and happen in streaks. And the Hurricanes certainly want to try to catch one as they head out west. Till next time, I'm your host, Drew Blevins. This has been the Bar Southeast Podcast. Hope you enjoy.